Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. Today we have a special guest with us, Rihanna Milne. How are you doing today, Rihanna? I'm doing great, you guys. How are you? Hello, everyone listening. It's nice to be here. Yeah, for those of us who are, who are uh, can actually see the video right now, I think that's a Zoom background. But your background makes me makes me think of that that nice warm place that we really kind of wish we were right now. Well, I live in Florida, and this was actually a picture I took when I was in St. Bart's. I'm a world traveler for a hobby. Oh, I love it. Beautiful. I would Thank love you. to be on the beach right now because out here it's about 24 degrees and pretty <laughs> chilly. <laughs> yeah, I moved down from New Jersey a few years ago and said, why did it take me so long? <laughs> I feel you there. I feel you there. I don't think we're leaving anytime soon, but yeah, probably not since you just bought me my dream house like three years ago. Oh, yeah. well, kind of then... stuck for a little bit. Something to be said about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, how about you go ahead and introduce yourself for us? Sure. Um, let me go back to the beginning. I did the standard psychotherapy master's. I have a triple master's in applied clinical and counseling psychology um, and opened my practice called Therapy by the Sea in A. Harbor Township, New Jersey. And during having a private practice, I always worked other positions and they all worked around situations where there was trauma. So I worked in the schools at every grade level from kindergarten all the way through college as a SAC counselor, student assistance counselor. And I was not the guidance counselor. I was the one that worked with kids who were emotionally upset, most of them coming from traumatic homes, um, oppositional defiant kids, sad, bullied kids, the bullies themselves. So anything where there's emotional discord, that was the counselor they saw. Um, I also worked at his, as a school psychologist at Hackensack High School um, up in North Jersey. That was grades 9 through 12. A lot of interesting uh, scenarios with the Crips and the Bloods there. I worked in a hospital called Atlantic Care with kids uh, ages 5 through 19, many from the foster care system or adopted kids. Uh, kids with eating disorders, um, suicidal, uh, cutting. Um, I was usually handed the more critical kids as the counselor there. I worked with all the foster care cases. Um, I also worked in drug and alcohol rehab centers, a teen center, and also one with women who were from the prison system. So what had brought me into work as a CCTP, Certified Clinical Trauma Professional, is that I was married to someone that had a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality type. So in public, they were great. And behind closed doors, they were a nightmare. And I needed to figure out why they, he acted like he did. So just analyzing him and looking at the cases that I had over the years, it all came to unhealed, unconscious childhood trauma. So that is my area of expertise. I have been doing mindset for success and coaching work my entire life. So I became a certified clinical um, life and love coach for singles and couples. I work with straight and LGBTQ populations um, from 16 to 76 was my oldest client. And I do that virtually. So I work with people around the globe now. I love it. I left um, my office in 2014 to work globally and help people uh, to create emotionally healthy, evolved and conscious love. And what happens, the research shows, nine out of 10 people struggle in life and love due to unhealed, unconscious childhood trauma. And um, I put together the childhood trauma checklist, which is the top 10 things of trauma that I saw in all these work scenarios, including private practice, working with kids or families, and all the other uh, job situations that I worked in to create the checklist and then put the pieces together on how to help people heal from this. 
to create the life they desire and to have the love that they deserve. Wow, that that's a lot. <laughs> You've been busy. <laughs> yeah, I'm also an author of seven books, um, and that one has gone to number one bestseller on Amazon. My book, Love Beyond Your Dreams, uh, Break Free of Toxic Relationships to Have the Love You Deserve, and Live Beyond Your Dreams from Fear and Doubt to Personal Power, Purpose, and Success. And the Live book does have a chapter in there for parenting, ideal parenting, and one written for the kids. And it's called Lessons from Mom, because all my kids' friends, when they were growing up, called me mom, because they used to call me, come and talk to me about all their problems, because they couldn't talk to their own moms and dads. So um, I wrote that while I was in uh, an elementary school, K through six school, and uh, wrote that at night and weekends. And, you know, my students know I was writing it. It's like, well, can I read the book? So I wrote it at a level of 14 and up. And it's amazing how many kids went to the library and signed that out. Then the librarian says, your, your books keep disappearing. I'm like, what? She goes, you must have a lot of students coming up. They sign up their books and they never come back. And I'm like, well, that's not good. She goes, no, that's a sign of a great book. People steal it. They don't want to bring it back. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, that could be my students. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you choose this kind of path for yourself? I always wanted to be a counselor ever since I was young. Um, I went through a few things myself. I uh, and had uh, experienced childhood trauma. Uh, I didn't think I had. Most people said, well, I don't have any trauma until you do the research. And again, everybody has at least one to three of the top 10 traumas. So I knew I was bullied. And um, I knew there was some verbal stuff going on in my home. And then I knew my dad, there was um, no fault, uh, what we call abandonment issues. Uh, There's fault and no fault, which I'll go into later when I go over the list. But um, that had been a part of my life as well. And then I was attracting toxic partners and I didn't know why. Because I was a good lady. I was spiritual. I was honest. I worked hard. I had amazing kids. And I'm like, why am I getting toxic partners? I couldn't understand that. So that's what led to the research. Wow. All that and you had time to write seven books in the middle of it, right? Well, the first one came out when I was a model and talent agent at age 26 to 36. I helped put people in the map in the uh, talent industry. And my actors and models, singers and dancers were from age five to 83. So at that time, I was teaching the mindset for success work. As a teenager, I was listening to Tony Robbins and Deepak Chopra, the Dalai Lama, the Course of Miracles, um, just getting this mindset for the excitement of life. My best friend at 16 was killed by a drunk driver. So that was very traumatic for me. Um, And I'm like, how much time do I have left? And how am I going to reach all my goals and dreams? So I became a very serious uh, person at age 17, where everybody else is worried about partying. I'm worried about my success levels and my journey and my goals. So that's a quite a different path than a lot of other kids. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know, it almost sounds like, um, what is it? I've heard it called. The, it's the difference between post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic growth, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because losing a friend while you're in high school is definitely a life-changing event, but it sounds like it, it kind of puts you on a path that, that led towards your own success. It did. And I really needed all those tools at age 24 uh, to 26 when I decided to leave my husband and raise my kids primarily on my own because I wanted them to be good kids and successful. Um, my 38-year-old has been written up in Forbes and Inc. magazine as one of the top 11 female entrepreneurs changing the world. At age 18, you know, 15, she says, I want to be a pop singer mom. I'm there. Well, then let's let's do it. And she sings on three multi-platinum CDs. And then it, um, when she was five, she goes, I want to put water wells in Africa to help those kids. And I said, I know you do. Let's do it. So by 19, she and her best friend went to Africa, um, connected with the United Nations. And since that day, they put 21 water wells in Tanzania, Africa with our charity Epic. 
So, you know, the mindset for success really, really works with kids. So when I was in the school and doing all this research for my books and my own daughters to bring them to the success levels they wanted, I would teach this to my school students at the age appropriate level. So for the uh, elementary kids, I would have star charts all over my wall. And, you know, if they acted up, the teachers would send them down to Miss Rihanna's relaxation room. That was my office. No bright lights, pads on the floor. I play Louis Miguel, and I don't understand Spanish, but I like the music for music therapy. And we would just talk through what was going on or what happened before they got to school, because it's usually the trauma that um, brings a kid upset into school, right? The home trauma that's going on. And so many kids are misdiagnosed ADHD because they can't concentrate when they think their parents are divorcing or their mom is on the street in Atlantic City doing drugs. So she didn't show up that night. I mean, I worked with critical kids, you know, so these were the types of stories we heard. And I had to work with what we call DIFUS, Division of Youth and Family Services. So, you know, each year I probably made at least 45 phone calls to kids that were being abused, hit by belts, uh, tree branches, um, metal trucks on the genitals. I mean, I heard all kinds of stories from my kids, unfortunately, uh, my students. I remember having a friendship group, uh, lunch group for the kids that were acting out and being bullies. And nine out of the 10 of them had a parent incarcerated. So, you know, they brought their anger into school by bullying others. So I created a program called Stand Up for Friendship, which was an anti-bullying program. And when I entered that uh, school in South Jersey, it was like a war zone. And within two months, we had this system in place and it worked out really, really well that it was televised because of the success level. And then I also created a, um, a talent show where I got, got the kids that auditioned and uh, they would um, have to meet certain criteria because I was a talent agent, right? I was in the school, so they had to audition and have their act ready and introduce themselves and not button line. They would have all these rules, but the most important rule is to be part of the talent club, you can't have a detention or a suspension. So all the bullies loved to dance and hip hop and wanted to perform and they became the little stars of the show. And I got them in newspapers, the, the show was televised and we also put a charity behind it. So these kids that didn't come from much, my daughter came in with her best friend, Tennille, who runs the Waterwell charity. Uh, they came to visit me, it happened to be perfect timing and they showed the films from Africa where kids don't even have running water. So where students are upset if they don't have the best sneakers or this or that, I say, how would you feel if you have no water? You have to walk five miles for a bucket of dirty water. So their whole life perspective changed. And we talked about gratitude and look at what you do have. So here I'm teaching my students the mindset for success that they're given everything that they could imagine to succeed in this world, no matter what, no matter what their life situation is at home, if they really focus in school, that they can excel. So these were the messages that I was teaching. And then I went to middle school, I was Atlantic City High School, another tough high school, and then Hackensack High School as a school psychologist. So that's kind of part of my journey within the schools. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of a journey. You, it sounds to me like you, you've had the privilege to really work with a lot of kids from a lot of different backgrounds and be able to get a whole lot of knowledge and experience on how to work with those, with those yeah. sorts of traumas. And That's right. As foster parents, we tend to, to get, you know, random bits of, of trauma that we have to learn to deal with, but we, we don't have that, that variety of experience for sure. For, yeah, one of my most uh, memorable stories was at Hackensack High School, where one of my seniors came in, I guess it was about, I was hired in October under emergency status, because I already had another job at a psychotherapy center. And I was up in North Jersey for my daughter's singing career at that time, she had a record in the recording studio in New York. So um, she comes into me, Miss Rihanna, my family moved out over the weekend. And I said, Well, where did you all go? She goes, No, not me. 
I went home, the house was dark, there's no electric, there's no food, there's no lights, only the things are left in my room. So this is the kind of cases that I had to work with. So, you know, immediately I wanted to bring her home with me till I could get her placed in a foster care system or get her adopted. And she was just about that age. And of course, if the school systems don't let you take them home, you know, I would have been glad to have done that, but it was against the rules. And um, so I called Dyfus and I said, I need the top supervisor. I need an attorney. I need to have power of attorney to get this girl into the system, uh, into a shelter for women near the high school where she can have a safe place with some heat and food and electricity. And I got all her classmates um, to bring in donation baskets. We call them baskets of love and support. So people just would bring in things from their homes. So she had things and she had food and candles until we could get her placed. So these are the type of uh, stories that are real and going on, you know, all over in our high schools. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash foster care nation. Now back to the show. That's one of the things I think most people don't realize is people don't understand just how prevalent this actually is and how, how many kids need help, you know? And oh yeah. Regardless and, of where you and live. And for the kids not to be afraid to reach out because kids of trauma have very low trust. You know, if you can't trust your mom and dad, it's hard to trust a stranger or, or a counselor affiliated with a school system. So it was important that they knew I was their advocate. So some of the things I wouldn't do, like I wouldn't go to the teacher's lunchroom because they all were gossiping and they wanted to talk about the kids. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to hold that those kids and my relationships like sacred. So I would leave on my lunch hour and go read, you know, um, it was just, it was kind of like I was my own little bubble, but my principal was amazing at the elementary school and recognized why I wanted to do that. That was like the safe haven. And then after school, we would do talent club. And that was another time for me to nurture them and show them, yes, you do have talent. You know, so the kids that used to bully, you know, they're being looked up to from the other kids. And it's like, I'll teach you the dance moves, you know, so now they're learning to be leaders, you know, so it was so beautiful to see the transformation. If you can find a talent, every child has a talent, find a talent in that child and believe in them. And, you know, I found during a lot of family counseling in my private practice, a parent would pull up pop in the office and say, here you go. Here's my kid. I'm going to pick him up in 45 minutes. I said, no, you're not. I'd say to the student, I said, go have a seat in my waiting room. You can turn on the TV. I'll be right out. I'm going to talk to your mom first because it's about the parents. They have to know how to parent them. And if the kids are acting out, how to use positive parenting methods, which I do describe in the Live Beyond Your Dreams book. Um, you know, what we call star chart for a little child, I call allowance chart for a teenager, you know, having some boundaries, working as a team, as a family, kids want to feel like they're important and they have something to contribute. And if they're just called a loser or whatever else it is, you know, that this, the mom or the boyfriend or the stepfather is calling them, kids believe what they hear. So if they're always getting, you know, verbal messages, they're no good, then they feel like they're no good. So occasionally there's a great mentor in their life, whether it's the counselor, a teacher, a coach that can turn, you know, a problem child around. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree 100%, um, you know, because we've seen so often as parents, we don't realize exactly what our power is and yeah. we have the power to either break or make our children. Absolutely. You mentioned that trust piece. How do, how, as a, as a foster parent, because a kid's going to show up at my house, right? Mm -hmm. They don't know me. I mean, I mean, you can tell cause you can see me that I'm, I'm absolutely beautiful and all, <laughs> the, 
look like a tough guy. Jason. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of adults might might see that that rough exterior. Most of the kids actually see right through it. To yeah. be fair, they're smarter than adults are usually. That's right. Kids are but, brilliant. <laughs> yes, they are. They, they can read that. But but I've got this kid shows up at my front house in my front door, and a four year old little boy walks in. Who has I don't know what kind of trauma. I just know it's probably there. Yeah. And has what kind of experience in his background that I don't know what it is. It's probably going to be some some rough experiences if he's been pulled out of his home and brought to mind. So how do I begin to build that trust with him so that he'll feel safe enough to where we can start to build that relationship and and move towards a, an ultimate goal of him becoming healthy and learning how to work through these things. Right. It's similar to me being a counselor. I'm thinking of uh, Atlantic Care Hospital System. You know, they don't want to be at a counselor. They hate sitting in a counselor's office. Um, they don't want to work with a stranger. So the first thing is just acknowledging where they are saying, you know, I know this is probably really scary for you. Like you have no idea who I am and you're in a brand new home you know, and, and you don't know how long you're going to be here. And I'm sure you're worried about your mom and dad. So you acknowledge what could be the obvious feelings, you know. Um, but with you, you could say, you know, I've had a lot of experience taking kids in and it's worked out okay. So I'm here when you need me. Um, you know, ask me anything you want and just kind of ease into it like their adult friend, you know, try to be that friend first. As a counselor, I kind of say a lot of those same things. Um, you know, kids are told by their parents, don't ever say anything is going on in the house or they're going to pull you from the house and you'll never come home again. So kids are scared to death to tell a school counselor they're being beat at home. It's amazing how many kids tell me that on their first session. Um, because I explain that, you know, uh, you're the one that has the power to help your family. You know, if, if I know what's going on, I can get a free counselor for your mom or dad. They won't have to pay for it. And I know that sounds a little scary. Their mom and dad might be mad at you if we send a counselor to the house, but we don't want the beatings to keep going on anymore. In a way, you empower yourself that you won't have the beatings, but at the same time, you can get mom and dad's the help that they need. So in a way, they, they see themselves as the empowering uh, person in the family, that they can change up the family dynamic by getting them some help. Which makes complete and total sense. And, and I know that a lot of people don't really understand that even when these children are taken away and placed in a foster care home or group home or, or wherever these children go, they still love mom and dad or whoever that yes. caregiver has been, yeah. no matter what the situation, how hard it was, whether they were starving, whether they were beat. And a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. They still want to feel loved by that mom and dad or the dad that has left the house and barely comes to see them. They still want that love because it's part of their own self-identity. Like, why doesn't my mom, why, let's say the dad leaves the home. Why doesn't my dad love me enough to come see me? You know, why does he say he's going to show up and then he doesn't? So yes, they still want their love from their mom or dad. That's very much innate in every child. Yeah. You say that like <laughs> it brings back a couple of memories of a few conversations with kids. Yeah. You know? sitting on the front porch with a kid in tears, wanting to know why mommy and daddy don't love them enough. Yeah. Or what else they can do to change things. So what I teach the kids is that if they empower themselves, everything changes. It's like, look, I know it's hard at home, but if you can really start focusing in school and let me help you focus. I mean, I was doing meditation in the school in 2000 when it, nobody knew why was I doing meditation? That's weird. Well, no, it calms down the trauma and the anxiety and gets the child refocused. And the teachers used to say, he went out of here a tyrant in a temper tantrum, came back like real smoothed out. And, you know, and I said, well, it's easier than for to just learn how to relax when they get nervous or triggered emotionally. Um, if they learn meditation. So I've been doing meditation in the schools way back when, real early, um, to calm the brain and, and the body systems. But if they can learn to refocus and do better, and instead of taking their anger out on other kids as a bully, 
you know, learn to make friends. The program I had stand up for friendship. Each person had a bully busting buddy. So if their buddy was being (laughs) bullied, then that friend would step in and say, hey, guys, why don't we try and work it out? Let's negotiate it. What is the real problem? They try to get two sides of the story. And if that friend couldn't help negotiate it through, so they were like mini counselors all over the school, then they would come to Miss Rihanna's and we would work it through and they would learn to talk about their problems and find real solutions that they both were happy with. So this is teaching a real skill. These skills that I taught my students, they will use the rest of their life, which we also call developmental assets or resiliency skills. Now I wrote a thesis on that, which is now in like 14 different countries and languages around the world. It's under Tariana Milne at Rowan University. And um, yeah, it was uh, a six month free program for kids of Atlantic City area to come to counseling. And we did group counseling. We did a talent show that raised money for Feed the Hungry, the Homeless, that we went down to the homeless shelter. And it's like, you know, this could be your path or we can raise your grades, get your talent, to, you know, decide what it is that you want to be in your life and start focusing on what you do want in life, not what you don't want. This is all mindset skills. So I did pre and post tests and the majority, like 98% of the kids, their grades went up, their happiness levels went up, their ability to get along with peers and teachers and parents. Um, their parents were amazed at the final show that these kids could do, you know, incredible singing and dance routines and were very proud of themselves. And they started dressing nicer with more pride. It was a great program. So there's a lot of statistics in there for anyone listening that, you know, would need that type of research for their school or anything that they're studying. And it sounds like you're really resiliency. Yeah, Yeah. It sounds like you're really empowering children. That's the goal. <laughs> it's really awesome because a lot of children, they need that. They need the positive. They need somebody to show them that there's a different way that it doesn't have to be this way. And you can break that cycle. For real. Yeah. If you'd like, I'll go into what the 10 childhood traumas are. And if these aren't healed by, you know, childhood development and maturation or maturity level uh, as they grow and age, then it comes out in toxic behaviors in adults. So um, these would be the 10 traumas that you want to watch out for in the kids that you're working with in foster care or adoption situations. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. If you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people, head over to Facebook and you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash foster care UJ. We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, You can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. You mentioned mentioned that earlier, and I was kind of curious because trauma is a big thing. In today's world, people are just starting to really talk about it mainstream. And I think as, as a whole, we're trying to really understand what those traumas are and how to recognize those. Perfect. Okay. So there are more than 10 traumas, but these are the top 10s I saw in all my my work experience over the 21 years. I've been a therapist and a coach. So as I go through them, I don't want the listeners to listen with blame or shame. We're not looking to blame your parents at this time or your foster parents. Um, And we're not looking to invoke shame in yourself if you're a child of adoption or foster care. They were trying to look at more of just like facts. Are these facts something that happened to you when you were little with your caretakers? Okay. So the first one is if your parent or guardian had any addiction issues. So as an addictions counselor, I named 12 of them. So there's drugs and alcohol, sex, meaning you knew your parent was a chronic cheater and you had to hold the secret, porn, gambling, hoarding, spending, eating, uh, gaming, TV watching, workaholism. And the last one I've added recently is social media addiction, just being on the computers all the time or giving kids computers all the time just to quiet them down. 
instead of really interacting with kids. So that's the first one. Second one is verbal abuse of any kind. So verbal could be watching your parents yelling and screaming at each other. It could be them yelling at you. It could also be not hearing the words, I love you, or getting compliments like, I'm proud of you, or great job, kiddo, and keep up the good work. A lot of kids don't hear those things. I was a child that grew up never hearing, I love you, or great job. I tried my best, and she goes, well, you could do better. So those were you know, tough messages that lead to feeling unworthy as an adult until those are healed, right? So verbal can be very... Um, very, very big for adults. Okay, the third one is emotional abuse or neglect. We all know what that is. Next one is any physical abuse or beating, sexual abuse, rape, or molestation. The next one is abandonment. And I said there's two types, fault and no-fault abandonment. So no-fault abandonment would be if a parent happened to die early or they've been sick a long time and they can't care for the child. That's not their fault. Uh, if the parent goes off to war, and believe me, being in a school, the children were always worried, is my mom or dad going to come back alive? They were scared to death and they couldn't focus in school. You just see them with this blank face, just kind of checking out, you know. Um, so that type or like in my situation uh, for work, my dad was away from the house all the time. We didn't know it, but he was FBI and CIA like James Bond. <laughs> So he couldn't tell the family where he was. But I remember asking a kid, "Is where's dad? Where's daddy coming home? So even things like that that you recognize, you know, that's the way he supported the family, but he wasn't there. Now, fault abandonment is never being in your child's life or you were in the life for a while until the relationship split up and then you rarely see that child or the type of emotional abandonment that parent might be in the house but rarely engages with a child or they never go to their sporting or arts events. They just kind of just totally ignore the child or if the child is there for custody visitation, the dad's out all weekend watching football on the TV and the kid's in his room on his computer, that's an emotional abandonment. There's just no interaction and that's a fault abandonment. Now the next one applies to your group. If there was adoption, foster care or going to live in another person's household um, because your parents couldn't take care of you. So even if that's grandma and or uncle or family friend, you still feel like you were, you know, pushed off to another home that your, your main home was lost for some reason. Trauma number seven is the most common that people relate to, and that's personal trauma. That's being bullied. If you were an overweight child, skinny and gawky child and called the nerd, you might have been born with a medical issue or had asthma so you can be on the sports teams. Uh, you weren't part of the cool kids. So you were picked on or bullied. Believe me, I saw that at every grade level. And I was very much an advocate to try and get that out of the schools that I was working in. Um, because it's very, very damaging to a kid's soul and psyche. So any reason where you didn't feel good enough or you didn't measure up to the other kids, that's personal trauma. Next one is sibling trauma. Maybe your sibling was born with a medical issue, so your mom and dad gave them more time and attention because they needed it. Or that sibling bullies you. Or more often, you perceive that sibling to be the golden child. So in other words, mom gave them more accolades and attention. They might've been the star athlete or more beautiful or handsome or the smartest one of the siblings. For some reason, one of the kids were favored. And if you weren't, you really felt the differences there. Trauma number nine has two uh, categories because one of them used to be in the later category. And because when I was growing up for the listeners, I'm a baby boomer. And we didn't see much of this, which is called community trauma. And today, everyone around the world is experiencing community trauma with COVID. So the fear of, am I going to get it? Am I going to die? Is someone I love going to die? This ongoing fear um, lasting for a long period of time is community trauma. That's also our school shooting, community shootings, our loss of communities by mother nature, our floods, fires, hurricanes, uh, mudslides, anything that's destroying communities at large 
is a huge impact. And that's probably one of the three that everyone can say, yes, I'm experiencing that in my life right now. The other part of that is family trauma, trauma number nine. And this is if a parent's incarcerated, if you grew up in a poor community, um, you were afraid often walking to school, uh, you came from lack, there's always talk around, we don't have enough to pay the bills, we don't have enough for food. And there's a lot of those conversations going on today with COVID. Um, if the military families, that's hard in our USA, they're moving every two to four years and the kids, as soon as they start getting friends are uprooted and taken to another school. So these kids are always on the move. Um, and that's, you know, anxiety going into a brand new school and being the new kid. Um, and then the last one, trauma number 10 is mental health issues and mom or dad. This is usually before uh, family services gets involved. So the two most difficult for children to navigate is bipolar and borderline personality disorder. Borderline to me is the worst. It's like walking on eggshells. When they're good, they're great. When they're bad, they're horrid. And you never know what you're going to get. Uh, they would explode with anger. It's something nobody else would even think is a big deal. Um, so it's a very unstable personality type. And then manic depressive is depression can show up as anger, emotionally checking out or extreme fatigue. And a manic phase could be, you know, a gambling spree an eating binge, a spending spree, and then having no money for food, you know, growing up with someone that has these types of obsessions or compulsions is part of the manic phase of uh, bipolar usually. So those are the 10 traumas that I usually talk about that I see impact most people. I have a question about the, those traumas. Um, and it kind of just struck me mostly when you're talking about sibling trauma, because the golden child syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a middle kid. So okay. Me too. <laughs> I, I might have some, some of that middle kid syndrome, right? <laughs> but, but our, as far as this trauma goes, I mean, obviously some of it is, is very clearly defined, you know, explicit things. If, if you experience sexual abuse, that's not at all subjective. That's an objective thing. But if you felt like you were the kid, whether or not that was actually the case, is that still considered a trauma? Yes. Uh, I always say feelings are real and they're true to that person, but they may not be a fact. Okay. So feelings are real. You know, if the, the parent says, well, I never hit my kid and that was the fact, but they screamed at them and threatened that they would and brought out belts or something else to scare the kid. They would say, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to get hit. And the parents say, well, that's not true. I never hit you. So, but that intimidation, that fear was still placed inside the child. So those feelings are always real. You always have to respect the feeling of the child and work with the feelings. And I have to explain this to parents all the time. I said, their feelings are real to them. And they have that, you know, that childlike uh, immature mind. I mean, a woman doesn't come into her full maturity level in her brain until age 22, 23. And for a boy, it's 25, 26. So the child mind has different ways of coping. And then what happens is the child coping mechanisms, once if they've never healed, when that, let's say it's a, a little girl, grow up with an alcoholic mother, okay? And the mother would scream and yell being hung over the next day. So this older sibling would get up and get her, her siblings ready for the bus and make the lunches and get them to the bus stop and basically be the caretaker. But she learned if she pleased her mom and did everything right, then she wouldn't be yelled at or hit. So this girl becomes the woman. And very often I see people pleasing in her adult love relationships or perfectionism or a need to control. So these are things that can ruin her adult love relationships. And um, the people pleasing is if a couple comes in, she'll say, nobody loves me like I love them. I do everything for my husband and my kids and nobody does anything for me. So their boundaries are so stretched that we have to reteach better boundaries, how to communicate your feelings. Um, it's like the passive aggressive male. If he spoke up as a child, his father would beat him for opening up his mouth. 
So as a man, if the woman's upset and starts yelling and she'll say, well, just talk to me about it, he'll just shut down because that was his coping mechanism and not want to talk about his feelings because he found out, well, that doesn't work. All I got was punished or screamed at even more. So that becomes that passive aggressive person that shuts down as an adult and then later acts out because they're angry because they don't feel loved or respected. So there's many different ways that these traumas show up as adults because of the coping mechanism that would have worked as a child. Let's say the child that got an F on his school paper and he knew he was going to get beaten for that. So he took that F and he goes, well, if I make it an A, then, you know, and say it was marked on a curve and I get away with it, I'm not going to be beat. So he learns to become an expert liar to make sure he's not going to be beat or hit for something. And if he gets away with it, that's reinforcement that, wow, if I tell the story and get away with this lie, I can get away with punishment. So that becomes that person that as an adult lies for no reason. And you hear the partner say, well, why did you even lie about that? Like, and it became so automatic just not to get in trouble, not to be yelled at, not to be hit. You know, it became a survival technique as a child. So the adult childhood traumas, I, we, we come to understand where do they come from and why? How are they showing up in your adult life, love or career? We analyze three different areas. And then we, what we, we set emotion into how do we fix those, heal those, and make sure you're, you know, coming from a place of strength and not unconsciousness, conscious awareness to deal with things as they come up in your life. I can give you a great example of adult unhealed childhood trauma. Our president, uh, unfortunately, is a man of childhood trauma. His father was a raging uh, alcoholic and uh, very authoritarian. He was not allowed to have playmates as a child. He had to be in his father's, they called tenement apartments. They weren't very glamorous apartments um, and cleaning toilets for the next renter to come in and bathrooms. His biography is fascinating. He used to say in his head, one day I'll have golden toilets, you know, and I will never live like this. Um, and, uh, you know, he had a brother die of alcoholism. So the ways that this presents in his adult life is what we call blaming others, blurting out, saying things that are totally inappropriate, um, needing to be liked. Um, yeah, there's so many different uh, pr promiscuous behavior. Unfortunately, um, you know, there's too much of that. Uh, that's factual there. So, I mean, there's a long list. I just sent out an email about that, that this is a way childhood trauma shows up. You know, sociopathy, what's good for them and not good for others. Um, so, you know, there's malignant narcissism and then there's there's healthy narcissism, but this is a malignant, malignant type of narcissism. So unhealed childhood trauma that was severe can show up in severe ways in an adult. On average, um, you know, just kind of with your typical child, I know it, it's going to vary some, but as far as like this list of 10, what's kind of the average of how much a child suffers from them? Coming from the foster care system um, or through the foster care system, I would usually see probably as a, their counselor, five to eight of these things. Wow. Yeah. And some more severe than others, like the screaming, the yelling, the hitting, um, a lot of the verbal put downs. The two that are most dangerous for people feeling not worthy as an adult is Trauma number seven, the personal bullying. And again, these could happen inside or outside of the home, in the schools or in the home, right? So verbal messages, both in those places, and then uh, not feeling like they fit in, feeling really different. Now, of course, me and Jason, we're, we're foster parents. And, you know, so we see children and trauma and we have children dropped off at our home and things like that. Right. When we're looking for help for our children. 
what would we be looking for when we're looking for a, whether it be a counselor or a psychologist, what kind of criteria are we looking at to find the best help for our children? Well, um, I was always considered a very different type of counselor. I was more solution focused. I definitely was about teaching conscious living, finding solutions, uh, deciding what we can do, not rehashing over and over and over what you can't do. Um, I would really try to go for more positivity, more gratitude. What do we have to work with? And I found kids love that, someone positive in their life. Um, I'm a CCTP. I would highly recommend that, which is a certified clinical trauma professional. Um, someone that really likes and gets kids. Like when I was in the schools, I was wearing cool fashions. My daughter was singing with the top hip hop artists at the time. And I had a picture with them. It's like, oh my God, Miss Rihanna, you know him? You know, and it's like, yeah, yeah, my daughter sings with him. So, you know, relating to their music and their art, their art and their culture and, um, you know, just kind of being fun and on their level. Like if it's a, a staunchy, like serious counselor, Kids get, kids get scared, you know? So I always loved working with kids. I think they feel that. So like a f more fun, outgoing counselor, a little bit more lighthearted, um, that not that we snow over the problems, we don't, but right away we talk about what can be done, you know, and empowering that child that they can work their way out of this. The, the girl from the high school I was telling you about where her father and his new girlfriend moved out because the, the new girlfriend didn't like her. She said she's, you know, old enough to leave on her own. And the mother was in Jamaica and did not speak any language, uh, any English language. So, um, you know, I had to step into action. What can we do? I didn't sit around and process this with her. It's like, okay, what can we do? We got to get you food. We got to get you, you know, this, I have to call the light company. I have to, you know, so I step into solutions, like what can we do? And, and I think when that child sees, wow, my counselor really cares and also teaching them coping mechanisms. Um, meditation, music therapy, journaling, um, you know, writing about their feelings can be really powerful. Teaching them skills on how to make a friend, how to be a friend, um, you know, even recommending books that they can read. If they're of a, a level that they can read books, get them reading early, <laughs> you know, uh, let them read this. You know, when my kids and my students were reading my live book and, um, these are my fifth and sixth graders in my elementary school. That's when it came out. They were like improving like crazy because I really soaked that in the mindset for success. I don't learn anywhere else. So get them to somebody who's very empowering, nurturing, outgoing, um, but has a great heart, not a stuffy person. That's kind of what I would suggest. If they want to do counseling online, let them do it online. Um, cause kids don't feel usually very comfortable going to a therapy office. It's funny. Like one of my foster parents at, uh, Atlanta care, he had quite a few kids, nine kids, I think. So nope. The only one we see is Miss Rihanna. That's the only counselor we want to see. <laughs> my kids love her. And I come out, it's like, Hey, how are you doing today? High five. You know? So it's just that personality that can get a smile on their face. So it's not like, oh, I got to go in there and they're going to keep asking me, how do I feel about that? I never ask that question because I already know they're not feeling very good about anything. So then we talk about what can they do? You know, so I, I really look about exploring their talent. What are their dreams? If they want to do karate, if they want to be in dance class. I mean, the arts are amazing at building uh, self-esteem. So I always try to get my foster parents to get kids involved with the arts, not necessarily sports, because team sports, if you're not one of the best, you feel like, you know, kids are making fun of you, your coach is screaming at you. I'm a kid that did not like team sports. I love dance. Um, I did play water polo, but, you know, I mean, most kids, like if they can excel in something that they enjoy, golf is more of an individual sport. Um Karate, that's why I like that. It teaches confidence and self-empowerment. Dance, 
So they feel at least if they're at a uh, school party, they can dance. Dance is good for guys and girls, you know, so just things that make them more confident and outgoing. Look for things like that. Dance. That's something I probably should have had some instruction as a kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a master yeah. chair dancer. That's about it. Oh, that's all right. At least that's a start. <laughs> Come on, Amanda. You can get him up and start teaching um, dance. Actually, he he dances a lot more than I do. I am not a dancer <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, we're not leading that class today. Well, you know, I you have a lot of great advice. And I know you have, you said, seven books out there. Yeah. And, you know, I, I assume that can all be found on your website or, or somewhere, you know, probably Amazon because everything's there these days. Um, the two major books I use for coaching is Live and Love Beyond Your Dreams. And I give out sample chapters at rihannamilne.com, my website. The first 60 pages of both books are there. I have a free ebook there, um, Why 9 Out of 10 People Suffer in Life and Love and How to Have the Love You Deserve. That's the ebook that goes into childhood trauma and the signs. So you can get that for free. And also on my website, I offer a uh, life and love transformation discovery session where I give you five simple assessments. We go really deep into some of the childhood traumas you might have experienced and what you're suffering with now. And we come up with a roadmap of what you can do to help start healing from that. And uh, that's a $500 value only for $47. So you can get that on my website too. And then my podcast, Lessons in Life and Love, is 106 shows. And you can hear that and see other videotapes. I think I have 250 tapes on my YouTube channel now that go deeper into a lot of different personality dynamics. And there are quite a few tapes there for parents to listen to. Yeah, and YouTube is one of those amazing things because I've learned everything from um, how to um, how to how to deal with things like I don't know leaky faucets to learning how to blacksmith to learning about trauma on YouTube because there's just a ton of information out there and it's easy to take in and it's free and that's what most yeah, people are looking for. Right. So it sounds like an amazing resource there. Uh, you know, I think one other question I had, because, you know, Amanda and I have been together for what, 20 something years, yes. give or take. Um, we stopped Going on 21. Yeah, there you go. But we've been together for a long time and this is not a journey. I have to worry about saying something wrong and, and offending Amanda here because we've been down this road. But when you, when you, you find a partner, when you, when you end up married somewhere down the road and you see things and you don't understand it, is there a good way to like, maybe introduce this idea to your spouse that, Hey, yes. you might've had some things or, or, you know, how can we, how can we work through that with a, with a spouse who may or may not be really willing to talk about what they had in their, in their past? It's really important. I work with both singles and couples. And when couples come into me, it's usually like a round and round circle discussing the same types of arguments over and over and over again. Well, you did this to me before, and you're going to do this to me again. And it's triggering something from the past. So the first thing is understand about childhood trauma and how it shows up. That's the free ebook you can get on my channel. And then when I have a couple come in, I have to see them individually for a while to dissect what each one of their traumas is and then how they're showing up individually. Like it could be showing up on the career. Let's say one person stays steady in a career and another one keeps getting like job of the year. I keep getting a hired and fired, hired and fired. Well, what's going on with that? You know, we have to get to the bottom of those things. Um, someone could be the perfectionist. Someone could be controlling. Someone could be jealous. Um, you know, it shows up in many, many different ways. So we have to see how it's showing up, what's causing the couple to have these types of arguments. And then I have to reteach a whole new way of communicating. Because once I know what they are, I explain to the other partner, your partner went through these traumas. He learned he better not speak about his feelings or he'd be whacked across the face. So when you're pushing him to talk about his feelings and he's there, I don't know what's wrong. I can't talk. It's because he's so traumatized from the past that he really can't. So instead, you've got to do this and this. You see, so I teach different coping strategies and communication skills so that they're not blaming each other. You know, one guy was yelled at from his boss at work and he comes home in a bad mood and yells at the wife and the wife takes it personally because her father always yelled at her. Then there's gonna be that reoccurring argument. 
This again is from childhood traumas. It's not her fault. He's upset. But instead of him, he should be saying, "Hun, I had a really tough day. The boss leashed out at me and I'm not feeling my best. But if I'm upset, please know it's not you. Okay, so people aren't talking like this. They need to recognize where they're being triggered, know why, and communicate to their partner what's going on. And the partner has to know how to give empathy and support. So they're working together more as a team. And my um, coaching programs are from four to six months because everything in trauma work says it takes about six months to get trauma out of the brain and the body and reteach a new conscious way of living because most people go from unconscious um, reaction. That's how most people live. They're living more in the dark side. They have more dark thoughts than light thoughts. So we have to change all of that. And it's practice and patterns that we're, you know, breaking old patterns and creating new ones so that, you know, you have a more happier, peaceful, evolved and conscious love relationship. Right. So, that's what I do. And then for my singles, you know, who are out there trying to find healthy love and keep ending up with a toxic partner, can't figure out why. Well, because her initial or his initial childhood traumas were not healed and they are attracting people of trauma, attract people of trauma. And the research on that's fascinating. It says the first three months are like really magical and romantic and passionate. You think you have the best partner ever. And then from four months to nine months, or if you get engaged or move in together or married or have a child, this transition usually is what breaks the bonds and causes a lot of conflict in the relationships if there is indeed unhealed trauma. You know, it's amazing. I, a wise man, I can't remember which one told me once that the problem, the, the fight's never about the fight. Yeah. It's never about the fight. And it's we, we get into that that dichotomy with our partner sometimes where we, we get into these recurring fights and they very rarely have to do with the things we think they do. And it sounds like having the opportunity to, to sit down with someone and really discuss that could help them come to come to grips with the fact that the real issue going on here probably has nothing to do with what it sounds like. Yeah, it's mostly uh, triggers, emotional triggers from the past. Yeah, emotions are a tricky thing for sure. Yeah. And as a guy who, I don't know, are you familiar with the Enneagram at all? Yes. Okay. As a guy who also happens to be an Enneagram type five, and I would say a hard five, mm-hmm. the emotional side of it has been quite a journey for me to try and learn and understand because we've had kids from all over the spectrum come in and I've had to learn how to, how to kind of figure out how to manage that emotional side. Cause that's a challenge. I think a lot of guys, we do tend to push the emotions back, whether it's, it has to do with the, the Enneagram typing system or just how we were raised. But a lot of us really push those emotions back and it takes, takes some real intentional work to figure out how to operate in that space where we can best serve our, our spouse and our children. Yeah. Most men were told, you know, uh, don't complain, don't be a sissy, don't cry, don't show your feelings. <laughs> Um, be tough, you know, all those messages that parents either told you or modeled to you. You know, if you had a difficult father, uh, the real macho type, then that's what he expected his son to be like, you know, so you weren't allowed to talk about your feelings. So it really does come back to a lot of that childhood raising and modeling and the messages that you might have received. And it sounds like you're not you're not necessarily advocating that whole idea that, you know, we, we just need to figure out how our parents screwed us up and then we can blame them. You've got some plans on how to begin to heal that. Well, the research showed childhood trauma goes through at least three generations. So if you have it, your parents had it and their parents had it. So most parents try to do the best that they know how. Um, it doesn't mean it couldn't be a whole lot better. But again, this is not about blaming them. It's like, okay, this happened. These are the facts. Now let me move forward, heal them, get beyond them, and not have to go back to, you know, childhood coping ways of being that are not serving me in life as an adult. Well, it sounds like you have have a real plan to help a lot of people. Yeah, it's amazing. And you've been doing that for a while already. Yes. You know, just talking about, 
some of the things that you've you've already done and the places you've been working and the the people you know both adults and kids you've been working with it sounds like you've really had a lot of a lot of success in helping a lot of people and that's what we need to see more of and we need to become parents bio parents adoptive parents foster parents just humans in general who are more focused on on helping others find their place of healing than we are in and falling into our own places of trauma and and reacting out of hand in a way that that damages that. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I mean the, the thing is open books and learn. Too many people are not reading today. You know, there's um when I was pregnant with my daughter, I did a lot of reading from the Better Baby Institute which is now called the Institute of Human Potential out of Philadelphia, where I'm from. And it's like, I like everything they're saying here. This is how I'm going to raise my kids. And they were talking all about positive parenting and reward charts and early learning back then. And I decided I was going to raise my kids like this. And they were reading before they went into kindergarten. I said, honey, go pick out a a children's book to read to the teacher for kindergarten. Because I said, what are the kids learning? They said, well, we start with this is letter A and this is letter B. And I'm like, oh, um, can my daughter skip ahead? She's already reading books. So their kids are like sponges. They, you know, if they have a great parent and parenting style, And the mindset for success, like I could have said to my five-year-old who says, I want to go put, you know, I want to go help those kids in Africa, mom. And I said, I know you will, and you're going to be amazing at it. You know, I said that she could do that. So at 19, yes, as her mom, I'm afraid she's going halfway around the world to Africa with her best friends, but I was sure not going to stop her dream. You know, so whatever she decides to do, she does. Now she's a millionaire coach. She coaches around the world. So, you know, I mean, you can foster the mindset for success in your kids. My other daughter was a supervisor for JetBlue Airlines in her early 20s. She was working for a top uh, restaurant chain for 20 restaurants in inventory at age 22, you know, making over $40,000 with two years of college. My other, the one that's in Inc. Magazine never stepped foot in college. By the time she decided she was going to go to college because she had her her model and talent career, uh, doing very well in that. Like she goes, I'll go for water engineering. She goes, mom, they keep calling on me. How do I put, you know, water wells in Africa? She goes, I guess I'm already doing this. I don't need to go to school to learn it. I say, you can always go back to college. So, I mean, the, the college education is not the answer. The answer is what are you teaching your kids before they step out of your home? And I'm very impassioned about that because Like I said, even those kids that aren't my own children that were my kids in schools, when they learn the mindset for success, their grades go up, their ability goes up, their confidence goes up, their ability to be friendly and communicate better goes up, their sense of pride goes up, everything changes. So, you know, find a counselor that knows about this. You know, the mindset work is so powerful. Um, I do have one question before we wrap it up here, Um, you know, because a lot of times, you know, we have foster kids coming in and you have to earn that trust. What are you looking for to know that there's some traumas here so that we can let our parents that are listening know that, hey, you know, I don't have this trust or this relationship with this kid yet, but I know there's something there. Um, What signs are we looking for? Um, well, usually the child from foster care is very quiet and shut down. They don't want to talk, you know, um, I would say get out into nature, walk, you know, uh, go to the beach, go to the mountains, just spend some quality time, um, talk about their dreams, talk about, you know, what they like to do in school. It's just basic friendship, you know, be their friend first, invoke, invoke that comfortable feeling that I'm here for you um, and, and acknowledge your feelings. I know this is probably really scary for you right now, you know, and, uh, but I'm here to help you the best that I can. I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to do the very best that I can. You know, kids always admire if you make a mistake where you're honest and you say, wow, I really messed up there. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? You know, be real, just, you know, come down to their level and to what they're feeling and uh, just take it slow. You know, these kids trauma, you know, people tend to shut down around trauma. 
So just taking it slow and, and building the friendship. Music is always great. I always had music going in my office. You know, I remember a sad little boy came in and goes, Miss Rihanna, put Mr. Louie on, which is Louie Miguel, you know, and he was one of my music, this beautiful Spanish love music. I don't understand Spanish, but it soothes the soul. You know, and uh, on Character Ed Day, I would walk in with some fun hip hop music. It's like, all right, everybody up and dance, you know, and kids love to dance. So just meet them on their level. Have some fun with them. Let them laugh. Uh, watch comedies with them. You know, just sit and relate. Their life is so serious. They need some fun and music, laughter, nature. Get them away from the machines, the computer. I call them the machines. <laughs> Computers. Um, and, you know, get out and kick a ball with them or, you know, do some baseball or play some basketball or whatever it takes just to, you know, get them out of their environment so that they can loosen up and relax a little bit. Well, awesome. I just want to say thank you so much for your perspective today and all the information that you've given. It's, it's been wildly informative. I think a lot of people are going to hear this and be like, okay, I, I can do this and not be as maybe as intimidated as they were before. Right. Don't take it personally if a child shut down around you. Give them time and give them space. Just know that they're scared, okay, and recognize and have that conversation like, I, I get it. It's scary. You don't know me. You're not used to this house. It's a new neighborhood. This has got to feel pretty hard for you, but you know, we're not all so bad here, you know, um, you know, and just kind of make some jokes with it, you know, try to just lighten up and loosen the mood. Like I said, I, my, my teachers in the schools, I said, when your kids are walking in that day, play some music, have them walk into your homeroom with music on your computer. So if it's a sunny day and it was, it's warm out and we're just got beyond winter, play something upbeat, energize. If it's, you know, if it's Christmas, play Christmas music at that time. If it's, um, you know, just something to give them a whole new perspective. Music therapy is amazing. But, you know, it's it's all kinds of the arts, um, nature, just, you know, interact as much as you can on various levels. But I do acknowledge their feelings. And then at least they'll feel that, oh, maybe she does get where where I am right now. They're going to be in their heads for a while with all their thoughts, but that's pretty natural. Don't take that personally. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you spending your time with us today and coming here to give out some of your, your wisdom to the people in our audience and for all the, the free gifts that you're offering to our audience as well. You're welcome. Thank you for the work you do. You too. It's wonderful. And you know, it's God's light is shining on you and all the kids that you help. That's really a blessing to our world. So thank you. You know, just keep up your work. You're doing a great job. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Okay. Now foster care nation. Thanks for listening to Brianna's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and your community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you would like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at fostercareuj at gmail.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I think you guys are cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks.